0: Supernatural
1: is something that isn't supposed to happen. Because... AM 1420 WBSN presents speaking South Coast with your hosts Tim Weisberg and Matt Costa.
2: Fancy mic. I'm on the fancy mic tonight, because Moniz isn't here, so I get to use the good one. Good evening, and welcome to Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here, along with the silent assassin, Matt Costa, because science advisor Matt Moniz is out at an event tonight with our friend Tiffany Johnson. Hello to them. We hope to talk to Matt a little bit later on, but uh, Matt, Matt Costa, I, I noticed you got some some uh, spiffy new equipment over there. I do. They, they gave you a new microphone.
3: It's big-time stuff.
2: Yeah, and as you pointed out so correctly, that's why the heat's not on. Yeah. It was either a microphone or the heat. So I think they made the wise choice. I think so. Because, uh, you know, they figure you talk about ghosts and and things like that, it's going to send a chill down your spine anyway, so you might as well be freezing the rest of yourself off at the same time. Yeah, we can take it. Sure we can. We've uh, We've had quite an interesting week, haven't we, here? Where
3: here in the studio or
2: no? Just in general. Oh, yeah. We've we've had an interesting week because uh, we we've been pretty busy, and uh, we're gonna we're gonna talk in just a little bit with the gentlemen from Nye Spy, Oliver Kamensky and Ted Davis. We'll talk to them in just a little bit, but uh, for right now, uh, we're we're just gonna recap our crazy week for you. Let's see, how did it start? Well, first we had to we had to come in here what on Tuesday. Yep. And, and film a little something for an upcoming television program that will uh, feature Matt Moniz. Um, Can we say the company? Oh. I don't know if we. Well, it, it's a cable company. It, it is. It's 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 one of the that, that the,
3: has on demand. One of the two cable
2: companies that are serviced in this area, and it's you know not Verizon. So, but uh, we we were filming for them something uh, that's coming up, uh, focusing on Matt Moniz and and his uh, career as a UFO investigator. Um, and that's appropriate because we will be talking later on with two UFO hunters. But uh, we, we, we filmed that. That was kind of crazy because I was in a rush because I had to go hover, cover a high school football game, and so we kind of rushed through things. But the the crew was great, and they understood. So uh, that will be coming soon. Then we got a chance to watch ourselves on Conversations with a Serial Killer, uh, which is on Living in the UK, where we helped track down the spirit of Albert DeSalvo. And we'll talk to Bobby Marqueso, who's the uh, one of the hosts of that program, later on tonight as well. So that was kind of weird, wasn't it? To, to actually, We got a chance to see ourselves in night vision, oh, yeah. which is, you know, I look remarkably thinner in night vision. <laughs> so from now on, I want everybody to like look at me in night vision. So there was that. Yeah. Then on Wednesday, I don't know, you, you, you couldn't make it because it was way past yeah. your bedtime. But uh, on Wednesday, got to hang out at, at uh, our buddy Wayne's practice space uh during the Rock for Christmas rehearsals. We got a little private forty five minute show with with Eddie Money. You know, only about twenty people there watching Eddie Money uh rehearse for the show, as well as uh Terry Alus of XYZ was there, Patrick Johansson of Malmsteen.
3: Of... Anyway, he's like the world's yeah. fastest
2: guitar player. I can't pronounce his name, but he just he kicks ass. He's just world's awesome. Fastest guitar player. Yeah, he's just outstanding, and and Patrick was hilarious. I just thought he was like he was cracking me up, and I I was kind of just like on the periphery of all of his conversations, but he was cracking me up. And we want to remind everybody that tomorrow night Rock for Christmas will be at the Newport Blues Cafe in Newport, Rhode Island. Tickets are still available if you go to newportblues.com, dot com or if you go to rock dot com, rock the number four xmas dot com, and they will have all the information. Uh, About the lineup, about the ticket sales, and and everybody's going to be there. Eddie Money, Joey Belladonna from Anthrax, Terry Luce, Patrick. I mean, the whole Rock for Christmas lineup will be taking the stage. And, uh, you know, I even got a chance to hear the the backing band for all of these uh, rock stars uh, featuring Wayne. And just what a great band they are for for coming together in a short amount of time. Yeah, Yeah, the drummer is awesome. (laughs) I believe his name was Dave. He he was very... uh, he was very impressive. The whole band was impressive, and they did a great job playing some of Eddie's greatest hits, and I'm sure that's what they'll have on the docket tomorrow night at the Newport Blues Cafe. So make sure that you get out there. Tickets are only about $20. They'll also have the CD on sale. Just get down there and you know buy a couple of tickets, have a few drinks, enjoy some songs, and, and it all benefits local families. That's yeah, a good cause. Yeah, 100% of the proceeds go to helping those in need during this holiday time. And so.
3: if, if it seals the deal. Both you and I might be there.
2: There's a good chance.
3: Yeah, if all goes well. Yes. So, we could sign autographs.
2: We could. We yeah. probably, somebody will ask. Yeah. We don't mind. It's, it's no, for we'll, the kids. As Eddie Money says, it's for the kids.
3: We'll just start grabbing everybody's CD and signing it. Yeah, sure. Give me that. Yeah.
2: Well, do we have to sign our own names? Or? Yeah. Because I can draw a pretty, pretty mean money symbol. Yeah. Pretty mean dollar sign.
3: Nobody would know. Yeah. Except Eddie Money.
2: Yes. Then i will get mad. And he's, he's actually very, he's tall. I was surprised how tall he was. So, uh, and he was very nice. I mean, he, he was, he was driving cross country. I mean, flying cross country and and he got in late and he, he was really tired, but he still showed up to practice with the band and he was very gracious to everybody that, that wanted to talk to him afterwards. So he really is a, a classy, classy individual as everybody is associated with rock for Christmas, of course. But, um, and uh, we apologize for the lack of spooky South Coast TV. Here it is, you know, this big thing that we announced last week is being every week live while the show is going on. And we couldn't do it this week because, I'm afraid to say, my laptop crashed. I'm not sure it cra- I don't know if I want to use the word crashed because that sounds very fatalistic. Yeah. But let's just say my laptop is giving me problems. You know, the, the, the light is on but nobody's home. That's pretty much what's happening, so... <laughs> Uh, just like the guy that owns it. So we'll try and see if we can get that figured out. If not, we'll make Matt Moniz, let us use his laptop or something. We'll come up with a way to keep Spooky South Coast TV going uh, because we want to make sure that...
3: We got some good feedback on that. We did. Aside from uh, the audio problem. Which we figured out.
2: Yeah. We figured out what the problem was. I actually spoke to a television professional, and he said, yes, the FireWire cable will carry audio. So... That was the whole problem, is we had the audio doubled up. That's what happens when
3: we do it five minutes before we go on the air.
2: Yeah, it's the only thing that hasn't worked out five <laughs> minutes before the show. So uh, that's that's what's going on with that. So we apologize for the lack of Spooky South Coast TV. Hopefully we'll get it up and running for next week. And uh, if not, you know, stay tuned, because it will be coming back.
3: Whether well, you I like it or not.
2: Yeah. <laughs> well, if you don't like it, just don't turn it on. Yeah. If you don't want to see us standing here in our underwear... I actually wrote a press release, and I sent out a press release about <laughs> Spooky South Coast TV, and that was the, the quote that I put in there. You know, The the only downside to this is now we have to wear pants, so which is something that we normally wouldn't do here at Spooky South Coast.
3: Yeah. Why wear pants if you don't have to? Yeah, exactly.
2: Now we have to. Exactly. I know. Now it's like,
3: uh It's a good thing we did this week because we didn't know how cold it was.
2: Cause... Yeah. I'm <laughs> glad. I'm, I should have wore two pairs because it is <laughs> very cold in here. All right, well, what we'll do right now is we'll take a break. When we come back, we will talk to Oliver Kamensky and Ted Davis of the New York Strange Phenomena Investigators about their new program coming up on Investigation Discovery that's coming up on December 13th. If you'd like to go to their website while you're listening to these commercials, it's ny-spi.com. And then later on tonight, we'll talk to Barbie Marqueso. He is the co-host of Conversations with a Serial Killer over in the U.K. And, And for you American fans... Who haven't had a chance to catch it? All you, uh, all you blokes over here on this side of the pond, you, you can check it out on YouTube. If you go to YouTube and type in "conversation with a serial killer," you'll find it. And if you go to our YouTube account, which is uh, you know Spooky South Coast, search for that on YouTube. You can actually find the clip of uh, the Albert DeSalvo episode that features the Spooky Crew. Uh, we're we're introduced as part of the Massachusetts Paranormal Crossroads because we were with Chris Balzano and Jeff Belanger, but. You'll you'll recognize us by the, uh, you know, popping the logos. (laughs) All right. So when we take a break, when we come back, we'll talk to Ted and Oliver of the new show, Nice Spy Investigates, right here on Spooky South Coast. back to spooky south coast tim weisberg here along with the silent assassin matt costa and if you would like to call in during the program with any questions the numbers are 508-996-0500 508-291-0500 and we have email capabilities here in the spooky studio just send us an email to spooky crew at spooky south and we'll be able to read it while we are on the air And now joining us on the line from the New York Strange Phenomena investigators, visit their website at ny-spi.com. We have Oliver Kamensky and Ted Davis. How are you guys tonight?
4: Hey, how are you doing? Very well. Good.
0: Great to be here.
2: Now, when we talked to you guys uh, a few months back, you were joining us to talk about UFO Hunters, which was your pilot that was going to be airing on the Sci-Fi channel, and uh, I remember you know, there was a little bit of a, a discrepancy with the title because, you know, the History Channel is already running UFO Hunters. I'm pretty sure that you guys are going to be the only show called Nice Spy Investigates.
5: We hope so. <laughs> we tried to uh, hedge our bet this time.
2: There you go. So now, what is the difference, Oliver, between, you know, what we're going to see uh, coming up on December 13th on Investigation Discovery and what you guys did for the Sci-Fi Channel?
4: Well, the uh, the Sci-Fi Channel was the original premiere of our show, um, and uh, that was uh, that was way back in January time frame. But uh, ID decided to pick up the the show for, uh, I guess, a single run. Uh, and it was specially re-edited uh, with some very compelling footage uh, in the second case, in the Carteret case, that originally the Sci-Fi channel was unwilling to show. So uh, we were very happy that uh, ID was willing to do this because, these are scenes that Ted and I had wanted in the show for, for quite a long time that they just were taken out.
2: Now, it's the one interesting thing about that, too, is when you get the chance to rework you know, a, a, an episode of a television show, you have the chance to see what audiences were interested in and what they weren't. Did you kind of take some viewer feedback into account in, in some of this as well to decide, okay, I see where they wanted a little bit more of the story in this case?
5: Well, honestly, that, wasn't really what crossed our mind. I think some viewers are going to be pleased with with what we've done. They they it depends which case they were more into. Mm-hmm. But really from the beginning these were scenes that we were very strongly behind and wanted included and unfortunately it just they really didn't seem to connect with sci-fi. It was too disturbing for them and they didn't want it in there.
4: Now, frankly, uh, we like both versions very much. We collected so much information in both of these cases that, you know, you could literally put them into a three-hour show. But, uh, you know, that would be a little bit too long for the viewers, and uh, it was just an amazing amount of footage that we carried. Uh, So the reworking of it wasn't because the first version wasn't good. In fact, Ted and I loved the first version. Um, The only thing, the reason why they reworked it was because we wanted to present something new to the viewers so they wouldn't be watching uh, a rerun. Uh, essentially, you know, these are scenes that uh, Ted and I had, you know, always wanted, and there's still more that we still haven't been able to get into the show, uh, because there's just such an amazing amount of material.
2: Well, the original show uh, was was being produced by the same producers that produced Ghost Hunters, and it kind of followed that similar vein of Ghost Hunters. Is this still in that same type of format?
5: Yes, it is, because it was still. The scenes were shot a certain way. Mm-hmm. It was supposed to be UFO hunters, so they shot it like ghost hunters. So it is a little different in the way they've reworked it, but it still has that that feel of a hunter's show from Pilgrim Films.
2: And the, the thing about that is is I think people are so used to the, to the edit style, to the presentation style, that it, it really helps them to quickly jump into the story, as opposed to if you watch some of these other programs that are uh, especially about ufo cases you know they set up a lot of the stuff with the history and everything and it it becomes a documentary almost before they even get to the actual field work and with you guys it's kind of like you know here's the information but we're getting right into the into the vans and we're getting right out onto the scene
4: that's exactly right ours is more or less a live investigation going on as it's happening uh they do an incredible amount of filming uh to capture you know everything that we're doing from beginning to end and you know what's amazing is uh you know the scenes that Ted and I caught on camera and what your listeners will wind up watching if they watch the show they're going to watch footage that was extremely extremely compelling and real i mean Ted and I kind of knew what we could possibly get on camera on film if everything went the way we had hoped it would but uh you know we had we weren't quite sure we would get it and uh And we did get some, you know, amazing footage. And I will probably say that, you know, to some of your viewers, that uh, viewer discretion is advised, especially in the second half, because some of those scenes are pretty, you know, pretty compelling.
2: Well, but I mean, that's part of what it is that that you research. I mean, you you can't make it all PG because you're getting information and you're getting experiences from people that might not be PG rated.
4: Uh, that was our argument the first time it came out. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but, of course, you know, the TV stations, the TV networks, they got to keep to a, a certain rating system, and they want to make sure they make the show as accessible to as many viewers as possible. Uh, but now, like you said, with being able to add these scenes in, and, and we've seen through DVD releases of different programs, too, you really do get the opportunity to kind of put your own personal stamp on it. Is that, you know, was that just as key to you in this reworking as it was just being able to get the information out there again did it have to be okay we we want to show it again but we really want to make sure that we can include this footage
5: well we always wanted to put forth the the best product of our work that we could we wanted it to portray what we do accurately and honestly and we felt that uh ufo people hate to be censored because it's all Mm -hmm. about claims of the government censoring information and and we just wanted the the real depth of the investigation out there and and if it's upsetting it's upsetting if it's if it's too much for some people but but we want the truth to get out there
2: see that that's what's funny is you know they complain about government censorship in the UFO field but i think that network censorship in the television field might be, even be worse especially since the, uh, infamous Janus, Janet Jackson incident where, you know, all of a sudden the FCC started paying attention to what's on television for a change. And, and it seems like now, you know, they're, they've really got their thumb down and it, it doesn't have to do with content as much as it has to do with, you know, presentation and, and to, be on a channel like uh, ID Investigation Discovery and to have that freedom. Uh, I mean, I'm I'm really excited because if we can get another network to start carrying more of these programs, then that just opens up more opportunity to to have more of this uh, genre out there. I know with Sci-Fi Channel, you know, we were hoping that this would get picked up as a full series. Is that an option with ID as well?
5: Well, I think the numbers are going to show in the end. You talked about what networks uh, want to censor things if, if they don't think it's going to work for them but it's the same way they're only going to pick something up if they think it's good for them in the long run so we can only hope uh, up till now id has basically just focused on real life investigations from the the crime side mm-hmm. a lot about serial killers and fbi investigations but they do seem to have an interest in reaching over into the paranormal side of investigations so we can hope. Uh, it seems like a good match. Uh, we just hope the the viewers turn out and the response is good.
2: It definitely makes sense to me because regular Discovery airs so many you know paranormal themed programs. And to add in, you know, the actual investigation aspect of, of what it is that paranormal researchers do, whether it be from the UFO field, the ghost field, cryptozoology, whatever, you know, be able to add that in there. It, it will make people understand that it really is a process. It really is an investigation, no different than that they would see on some of these other programs.
4: Well, the fit is pretty good, Matt, because, uh, basically, we are doing uh, something similar to what a crime investigation would be. I mean, we are going back and putting little pieces of the jigsaw puzzle together uh, to determine what may have happened or what may have not happened, determining determine whether a case holds water or whether it doesn't, uh, whether somebody's telling the truth or not. So uh, unlike a true scientific show, you know, we're more like evidence-based uh, in many aspects, not in all aspects. I mean, a lot of technology and science that can go into hunting UFOs as well. But, uh, you know, there a lot of it depends upon witness testimony and, uh, you know, their emotions and their reactions and, uh, you know, the information you collect from them.
2: Well, why don't we uh, recount for people the, the cases that were featured in, in this episode?
5: Okay, the first uh, rough half hour of the show is a case that occurred back at the end of the summer of uh 2007 off uh, Normandy Beach in New Jersey, and there were widespread reports actually up and down the East Coast that there was an object. Some reports were that it was uh, looked like a plane that crashed into the ocean. Other reports were that it was a, a fireball that may or may not have exploded over the Jersey Shore. So we go into the area and uh, look to see what we can find.
4: And it's actually a very significant case. Uh... Because it actually create, caused a, a Coast Guard search, which was dispatched, and uh, they actually did a, a search of the water where that object had been thought to have crashed.
2: And in the, the second half hour, focuses on a. I'm guessing that's where some of the the more uh, shocking footage is going to come into play.
4: Yeah, the second case was the case that was really expanded. Uh, that has to do with the Carteret Arthur Kill. Uh, ufo lights that occurred back in 2001 and ted and i wound up uh, uh, reinvestigating that case in the uh, 2006-2007 time frame uh, with a new witness that had joined uh, or we had we had found a new witness that had actually uh, seen the object and uh, had also possibly experienced an abduction with it
2: and i know in that case uh, if i remember from the Uh, original version of the show there was some some regression therapy that was done
5: that's correct i mean that's part of the process when someone reports that they've had an abduction experience you do a series of interviews you kind of rework where they what they went through on that night or that day that they reported the experience and if everything seems to be holding together and the subject is willing uh we would Bring in Jed Turnbull, our clinical hypnotherapist and a licensed social worker, and have him meet with the individual in this case, John Perdovan, and have a hypnoregression session.
4: Well, that case was actually a very amazing case because it was a mass witness sighting seen by hundreds of people. It had all the elements of a of a watertight case because you know we had video, we had FAA evidence that uh, corresponded to the uh, to the sightings. Uh, We had multiple, multiple witnesses, you know, well over, you know, 100 witnesses, and uh, you know, then we actually had a a witness who had experienced an abduction in association with the
2: sightings. So it was a very, very full
4: and thorough case to research.
2: See, now that's where I think people will really make a connection um, with. UFO investigation program is when you start to really hear these witness testimonies and when you can start to get into, and I, and I know that you would if you have the chance to make more episodes, get really into the abductee cases, uh, which, you know, both of you have a long history of investigating working with Bud Hopkins and the intruders foundation. Is there, is there kind of an an, an idea in your minds to put an emphasis on that? Because I mean, I know that I've, always thought that there was something going on, but it wasn't until I started talking with Matt Moniz and he really started telling me about these abduction cases and and what goes on that I said, okay, now I can really start to believe that there's something happening.
5: Well, the key thing with the abduction cases is that you never know how much information you can get. The the history uh, in this field is that these, these abductions occur again and again across the lifespan, and they run through families and there's so much there to tap into. But what's most important about it is that you get to help people. Many of these people are so troubled by their experiences, and they just need someone who will listen to them, who will accept what they're saying and not judge them and not ridicule them, like the majority of society does. So I think that's what draws us to it, is that you can actually help people when you work in the abduction phase of a UFO research.
4: Over the years that we both worked uh, for uh, Bud Hopkins and the Intruders Foundation, or I should say volunteered, uh, but we worked pretty hard, uh, we talked to hundreds and hundreds of people and met with many, many as well. Uh, People from all over the world of all different socioeconomic standings, all different cultures and races and religions. And the phenomenon that they report is the same across the board. Their stories might vary slightly, But what they are talking about, the patterns of what occurs, they're almost always identical. And those are the cases that we wind up often pursuing.
2: I mean, I've always felt that, you know, there might be one or two crazy people. There might be one or two people who are only seeking attention. But there's hundreds and hundreds of people that have had actual legitimate Encounters, And to me, that is the most compelling evidence anybody can show me, even more so than if you show me some metal and you say, hey, it tests really high radiologically. We have no idea why. You know, I'm more interested in these stories and the fact that they're making connections with human beings for whatever reason. Um, do you find, though, that as you. Investigate these abductions? Do you eventually get to the point where you say, okay, I don't know if I can really take this anymore? I know that I'm helping people, but I don't know how much more I can have to listen to other people's traumas.
4: Well, actually, you bring up a very, very good point. I mean, there are so many people that have contacted us between Bud's group and between Nye Spy, you know, that, you know, Ted and I feel, you know, terrible because we cannot reach out and help everybody. Uh, We basically can only. Work with people on a form of triage. The people that yell the loudest first and need the help the most are usually the people that we touch first. That is, of course, if you know their cases are legitimate and they, you know, they match a certain criteria that we have set, uh, you know, for for those types of cases. So, um, you know, it's it, it goes out. You know, our heart goes out to to so many people. To me, especially the people that call in and talk to me about uh, their children having same type of experiences that they've had and they can't protect their children you know it it, it's it's very difficult because you just can't help everybody Uh,
2: how does how does that work exactly i mean if I, i know that we've heard about these abductions happening through families but i mean does it tend to focus on a certain member of the family for a certain amount of time and then move on to somebody else or is it kind of you know any given night any member of the family could could be the victim of one of these abductions
5: it's Hard to say. It really tends to fall more towards any given night, but it's kind of like an iceberg. When you're looking at an abductee, you never really know how many times they've had experiences. You can have an experience where they just come to you, and it's a very brief experience in the in the house or or wherever the abductee is. It can be an experience where they're brought to another place or brought apparently reports indicate to a craft where the craft goes we don't know does it go underwater does it go into space That it's hard to tell but we we don't know how many experiences any given abductee has had it could be a dozen it could be a hundred it could be a thousand as crazy as that sounds you
4: know, what makes it such a narrow area of expertise is that you have to realize that you know in many cases People don't remember very much. They only remember bits and pieces of their experiences. Sometimes they remember nothing. Sometimes they remember the whole thing outright. Sometimes it comes back to them in fragments, you know, in flashbacks over time, or something might trigger their memory years down the road. So, you know, we don't really know how many people are out there that may have had these types of experiences that, you know, are just walking around uh, without memory of them.
2: It's – I just – I know that there's some similar traits uh amongst different groups of abductees, but there's never been able to pinpoint one consistent factor amongst all abductees. Is there any kind of really prevailing common threat amongst them?
5: They yeah, like strawberry jelly. Yeah,
2: they all breathe.
5: we <laughs> <laughs> um, you're right that there are consistent factors that that we obviously tap into as investigators. Uh, but there's no, I, I don't think you can point to any one absolute, like that. there's one question you can ask or, or one thing you can look at. It, it's more of a, a one from Category A, one from Category B, and uh, possibly one from C, possibly one from D. It's a little different for everybody, but there, there's a core uh, number of traits that tend to be uh, common factors.
4: Yeah, it's uh, overall, you know, the uh UFO abduction phenomenon doesn't discriminate. It's uh, pretty much across the board.
2: And and not everybody has the same experience when they undergo the abduction. I mean, I, at least in what I've heard and what I've read, you know, someone might report uh not a pleasant experience, but you know, not a particularly physically traumatic experience. You know, they're just taken aboard and and Undergo some tests, and then other people, the tests that they undergo are ridiculously, you know, uh, ridiculously negative to them. It, it just seems like it can be hit or miss. I mean, it, you might get lucky. You know, if you are going to be abducted, you might get one of the good trips per se.
5: Well, that's absolutely true. Um, the majority of the people that we encounter feel not so much negative about it, but they're scared by it and there's a trauma because of it just because of the nature of what it is it's because it's so unknown and they can't explain it and society doesn't accept it so you're kind of traumatized from one end and from the other because of the ridicule factor
4: right mm-hmm. i mean there's so many people that uh... we've spoken to who won't even talk to you know their own spouse or their parents right, or their you know or their best friends about this I mean, for fear of derision ridicule and uh... They're so happy often when they come and talk to us because all of a sudden somebody is listening to them that takes them seriously.
2: Well, we are talking with Oliver Kamensky and Ted Davis of the forthcoming special Ni Spy Investigates. It'll be airing December 13th at 10 p.m. Eastern on Investigation Discovery. And, of course, you can check out local listings. You can also go to the Investigation Discovery website or to ny-spi.com for information about that. But... Um, you know, when, when we see, you know, whatever the X-Files, you know, whatever episodes of television, CSI, different shows in the in recent years that have dealt with uh, abduction cases as one of their storylines. They always seem to portray the groups that will go out into the desert and meet when, the, when they think these ships are going to be passing by or, you know, when they're sitting out there in the fields with, you know, giant signs that say, take me, please, take me. Have you ever known anybody that wanted to get abducted that did?
4: Yeah, we have a whole bunch of people that often contact a group with hopes of talking or convincing us that uh, they know something that nobody else knows in the entire universe. And uh, you know, unfortunately, those are the people that we well, I don't know, unfortunately or fortunately, but unfortunately, those are the people that we don't get a chance to talk to, and we decide not to talk to. Mm -hmm. Those are the red flag people to us. Typically, it's usually the people that are troubled, the, uh, the everyday housewife or or, uh, or, or the, the farmer that comes to us and says, you know, I don't really know what's happened, but, you know, I'm very confused and I need help. It's typically not the people that, uh, uh, that believe they're special in some way. It's more the people that are traumatized that we deal with first.
2: I mean, it doesn't even have to be somebody that's necessarily special, but just somebody that says, "Hey, I," you know, even a researcher, you know, an, abdu- an abduction researcher who says, "You know, I'd be willing to undergo this to see exactly what it is from that side of things," you know, and and they try to, you know, make themselves available, you know, next time somebody that you know gets abducted, mention me, you know, like it just seems like it, it can only be against your will. I, I don't hear any real cases of people who. You know, eventually they'll accept it and they'll stop fighting it, maybe, but nobody's really willing to go that ends up going. It seems to be like they just pass those people over.
5: Well, I I guess, but it's one of those things, I think, it it might be be careful what you wish for, Mm -hmm. that perhaps if they were to get their wish, it might not be something they'd like. Because from what people report, it's not entirely pleasant. Well, being
4: taken against your will to begin with, and then even having your memories partially or totally robbed of that experience as well, it's a, it's an unsettling unsettling feeling, it's an unsettling thought.
2: Does it does it almost help uh, somebody who's been abducted frequently if they do come forward and they start talking about it? Does it can it help lessen the number of abductions, or does it just seem to they're following you know whatever their experiments, whatever their path is, and they don't really care if you talk to anybody about it?
5: I know there's some researchers out there who have made claims and written articles and books about how to stop abductions, and they claim that they are successful, but we've never encountered that there is a, a method of stopping it or decreasing it. It's, what we're trying to do is help the people, and by talking about it and, and having someone who will listen to them and not judge them and not ridicule them and putting them in contact with others, as well, who feel the same way, may have had the same experiences, there's a therapeutic effect to that. Uh, But unfortunately, it's more about getting past the fear and learning to live with it than learning how to stop it. Part of
4: the challenge of the work that we do is, you know, with the mainstream uh, scientific community as well. I mean, UFOs right now are barely starting to scratch the surface of, Mainstream scientific acceptability with the release of all the documents from uh, the military and governments uh, over in France and uh, and England, uh, and you know, some of the documents that have been released here through the Freedom of Information Act that were previously classified by the military. Some are still released that are censored. So, the UFO phenomenon is just starting to gain acceptance, but the UFO abduction phenomenon. People still roll their eyes in disbelief because it's such a foreign concept and a disturbing concept to them.
2: See, to me, I, I just I can't dismiss one or the other. It seems like if they are coming here, then they're coming here for a purpose. And and these abduction cases certainly sound to me like it could be, you know, uh, part of a very big reason why you would see these these ships, these you know objects in the sky. Because you know there has to be a purpose, and if that purpose is us. And studying us or subjecting us to, to certain tests, then I, I don't know, I'm just willing to, to see how they can go hand in hand. I, I'd rather believe that there is at least some sort of purpose instead of, oh yeah, every once in a while they just do a flyover to make sure we're still here.
5: Yeah, there's a lot of old school UFO researchers who want nothing to do with abductions. They they think it's a bunch of garbage and to them it's it's all about the flybys and the lights in the sky and maybe one's going to land here or there. But they don't seem to to think that maybe there's a bigger picture, that there's possibly a reason that they're here, and maybe they're doing something more than just zipping around.
2: Right. And, of course, we can only speculate as to what that is, but, I mean, we can, as strange as abduction phenomena may be for people, we can only hope that in the end there is some sort of positive benefit uh, for mankind out of all this. You know, maybe they are here as our saviors. Maybe in 2012, you know, we will need them to help us with whatever is coming. But... You know it, until then, I mean, maybe their methods are just a little bit uh, unpleasant, and, and the end result will hopefully benefit everybody
4: well based on our research based on our research, we really can't make a, a call as to exactly why they're here, and uh, we also can't say whether or not they're benevolent or malevolent what their intentions are. Uh, what we can say is they do appear to be here you know, if it isn't indeed a word of they they're here for their own reasons. As much much as a scientist would, uh, you know, look at an ant colony, a human scientist might look at an ant colony or, or observe apes, uh, it appears that they're doing the same with us. They're testing us. They're observing us. They're looking for our responses. They're possibly even engaging in interbreeding.
2: I mean, that that definitely seems like, you know, a uh, uh a scary thing when you think about it, you know, when you say, oh, well, they, you know, they're harvesting us to make their own, you know, race. But, you know, maybe there is for a purpose. It, it could be to, to make us different genetically to help us withstand something coming in the future. I mean, I, I'm not saying I want to go up there and start impregnating alien women because I don't have to deal with my wife when I go back down here on Earth. <laughs> That's
4: certainly a nice thought to have that they are here for, uh, you know, for benevolent reasons. But uh, we see no proof of that.
2: But do you, you don't see proof of it being malevolent either, though? Well, other than the fact that it is just traumatic for people, but that just could be that could just be more in the method than it is in the intent.
4: That that is correct. It could be more in the method than it than it is in the intent. But uh, you know, if they are unable to comprehend emotion and feelings and, ration, you know, and, and rationalization that that people have, that humans have and uh, you know, they're taking us against our will, against our emotional will, then that in itself, the act itself, is
5: malevolent. It also depends on how they, they would view themselves versus how they view us. Look at how our scientists will treat other species that we view as lesser species. So if the, it's that sort of relationship, they're going to do what they feel is necessary, try to do... least amount of harm possible but there's still going to be a residual
0: effect
4: right we do the same thing you know with animals as well you know we try to as researchers have as little much of a little as an imprint on them as possible on their existence as possible but learn as much as we can
2: well except for the ones that we eat
4: that's true (laughs) i don't want to be eaten by an alien
2: no definitely not (laughs) but now, investigating both UFO cases and, you know, landings and sightings and different aspects of, of UFO, uh, sightings, do we see a correlation between a high number of sightings and abductions happening in certain areas? Because it seems to me like, you know, it, it, when you look at some of the research, you don't have to have a sighting at all for there to be an abduction in that area. They've kind of figured out how they can grab who they need to grab without causing a big scene about it. But do we see a lot of incidences where a high number of sightings will correlate in a high number of abductions?
5: Well, it, it's hard to say. You're right that there are – you can have an abduction, you can have a mass abduction, and there is no sighting in the area. Or you can have a huge craft and there are no abductions. But or no reported abductions. Right, no, exactly. Good point. No reported abductions because what I was about to say is sometimes it takes a while to figure – out exactly what happened with the Carteret case. It occurred in, in mid-2001, and it took several years for people to hear about John and his case. And, and it makes you scratch your head, because we'll say again and again that these beings appear to want to live in secrecy and do things behind the scenes, but then why do you take a craft that was allegedly 1,000 feet in length and park it over parts of New Jersey and uh, Staten Island to, what, take one person? You have to ask, were other people taken? What else was going on that night?
2: That's true. I mean, it's just the more researchers can pay attention to both aspects of of it, both the abduction and the the sightings and the landings or whatever else. I mean, that's when you're going to start to get answers. And I think you guys are definitely on the right path, more so than the, the old school guys that you were talking about before that don't want to talk about the abductions. If you don't pursue all the avenues of whatever, then you're not really going to get to any kind of answers. I mean, that goes for any type of science.
4: That's true. Objective skepticism is very healthy. But subjectivity, where you've already made up your mind about something before you even look into it, that's very damaging to science. Uh,
2: let me ask our resident skeptic, Matt Costa. You know, I, I know that we've talked in the past about what you think about UFOs and everything, yeah. but what, what do you think of abduction phenomena? And, and is that too much of a stretch for you to believe?
3: I mean, it's possible. Um, you just have to be really careful of who you believe and who you don't. Mm. And a lot of uh, research, I guess, goes involved with, the whole, with uh, abductees and interviews and that's true. All sorts yeah. of back information that you have to take into account. So.
2: That might be something, uh, Oliver and Ted, that people might overlook in the process of, of what you must do. There must be some pretty intense you know, psychological profiling going on in, in a lot of these abductees that you work with.
4: That's a very complex uh, uh, set of criteria that we have to set before we uh, decide whether or not to first even you know, discuss or talk to somebody that has claims and comes forward and says they may have uh, an experience. But then to determine whether or not their uh, experiences are authentic or have some basis uh, as truth, uh, yeah, it's, it's a long, complicated process.
5: Absolutely, and, and one of the tools that we do use is actually highlighted a little more in this version of the show. It was mentioned in the UFO Hunters pilot, but it's been accentuated a little bit more now with, with Nice Spy Investigates, and that is the psychological test that I designed along with uh, Bud Hopkins, and that was uh, kind of assisted with in the later stages by Don Don Derry of McGill University. And it's a, uh, a psychological test that we put together, to give to abductees to help kind of weed out if they're being honest, if they're being deceptive, and to talk about, to, to kind of pull out their experiences. And the results of the test can't say that someone is an abductee or is not an abductee. But what it does is, again, it it tells us if they're being honest or deceptive. Mm-hmm. And it tells us do they fit a profile that is consistent with people who report having these experiences versus uh, people we give it who have not had these experiences and test a completely opposite way.
2: It, it's so. It must be so daunting to get into some of these, these profiles and to get into some of these, you know, workups of people because the questions just kind of end up going in a circle. You know, you might have somebody who says, who claims they have a long history of being abducted, but then you find out they also have a long history of being abused. And you say, well, is one a cover-up for the other? You know, do they have these abduction memories because they're covering up for the abuse? Do they have the abuse memories to cover up for the abduction because they didn't want to believe it was happening on that end? I mean, it, it must sometimes turn into a, just a, a circle that goes around and around. And it's hard to break.
4: Well, one of the tools that we use as uh, investigators, uh, as we would with, uh, you know, as evidence handlers as well, and we use something called the false lead to see if whether or not people bite. And uh, those false leads that we give to people help determine, help us determine credibility. And that's just one of the tools that we use. Uh, so you're right, it, it, it's a very daunting process, but there's also clear indicators as to whether or not a person has been abducted or whether or not he has been so he's suffering from being abused as a child or at some point in his life or, his, or her life. Very different.
5: Right, and another factor, that, I mean, the, the rare case that you pointed out, that what if somebody had both? We, it's not just about qualifying somebody, whether we believe them or not. It's also about qualifying that, is it the best thing for this person to look into these experiences right here, right now in their life? Mm-hmm. Are there other things they need to take care of first? For example, if it does look like they are ongo- in an ongoing abusive relationship or did suffer abuse here on Earth uh, from other people, then we're going to suggest they need to deal with that first. But don't worry about the abduction stuff. That, that can wait. They need to get their life in order and deal with other things.
2: Yeah, and I've heard criticism of, of abductee researchers and, and people have said, well, all they're doing is they're, they're playing into the fantasy. But you've, from what you've heard and what you must have, have seen in, in some of these sessions, I mean, this, this isn't a fantasy for a lot of people. It's, it's probably more like a nightmare.
4: Well, it, it sure is and as a trained investigator in the abduction field uh, basically you really have to know what you're doing I mean there's not too many people that are qualified in abduction research and abduction hypnotherapy especially uh, there's plenty of people out there that can do trauma therapy but people that know what to look for in the UFO abduction field that's a separate entity and you know people like Jed Turnbull who we work with You know, he actually trains people to, you know, to to know what to look for and how to operate as, uh, you know, as UFO uh, abductee uh, hypnotists.
2: All right, guys. Well, we uh, we thank you for joining us tonight. And uh, remember, everybody, December 13th, that's uh, next Saturday, 10 p.m. Nice by investigates on investigation discovery. Guys, we hope that this will turn into a a full series and we can watch, you know, some of this work that you've done and and get a chance to see firsthand and then maybe, you know, more people can come forward and share their experiences with you.
4: Well, we appreciate you having us very much and uh, you know, please have your listeners if they watch the show and their feedback to investigation
5: discovery.
2: Absolutely. All right, thanks guys. We hope to talk to you again soon.
5: All right, thanks a lot. Take care.
2: Have a good guys. So uh, we will take a break here, and then on the other side will be the news. When we come back, we will talk with Barbie Marqueso of Conversations with a Serial Killer, and we'll also give you the week and weird coming up as well. So stay tuned for more here on Spooky South Coast. All right, well, while we're taking a break for the network news, we want everybody to jump onto their computer, log on to rock4xmas.com. That's rock the number four xmas.com. Purchase your tickets for tomorrow night's show at the Newport Blues Cafe in Newport, Rhode Island, Eddie Money is going to be there. He's the headliner. He's going to just rock the house, I'm telling you. And uh also Joey Belladonna of Anthrax, Terry Luce of XYZ, Patrick Johansson of Among We and uh After the Crash, Grace Morrison, uh Larry Hoppen of Orleans. Uh, it's just going to be a stacked stack line up, and you want to make sure you get down there. Tickets are only about $20, and this is going to be your chance to help support families in need for Christmas. So go rock out, have fun, and uh, feel a little bit better about yourself. That's rock4xmas.com, and we'll be right back with more here on Spooky South Coast.
1: Spooky South Coast is
3: back. It's Saturday night. I have no date. A two-liter bottle of Shasta and my all-Rush mixtape. Let's rock.
5: not afraid. You will yeah. be. Welcome to Spooky
0: South Coast. Look, I know the supernatural is something that isn't supposed to happen, but it does it?
2: Welcome back, Hour number two of Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here, along with the silent assassin, Matt Costa. Science advisor Matt Moniz is out in the field tonight at an event. We'll check in with him in a few minutes. Uh, he's at the Lizzie Boyden Bed and Breakfast. I don't know if you knew that, Matt Costa.
3: I heard he had a key.
2: <laughs> he does. He is uh, there with Tiffany Johnson for an event that they have going on there. We'll check in with Matt in just a little bit. And uh, we got a report while we were... Taking a break for the news from a listener who actually got a chance to encounter David Duchovny when he was visiting the area uh, last week. You know, he was here last Saturday having dinner in New Bedford, and uh, he didn't bother to stop by the spooky studio and hang out. What's up with that? I think, I think you know what it is. He knew that we were doing the Rock for Christmas special. Yeah. And that we had a pretty packed lineup, and we, we probably wouldn't have had room to squeeze him in. Probably. No. We'll or, to... or
3: it's probably the numerous Red Shoe Diary jokes we make every week.
2: <laughs> you think he might be mad about that? Maybe. I thought he was proud of that.
3: I think he wants to put it behind him.
2: I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. You haven't seen his new <laughs> show yet. Makes uh, makes red shoes look like pink slippers. Let me just put it to you that way. Okay, <laughs> pink bunny slippers, in fact. But uh, anyway, uh, if if if, if you are still around, you know, Dave, we're big fans, and you know, the door is always open for you. We'll let you come in, and you can do a, a Jeff Belangelo-like co-hosting gig with us. That would be awesome. Speaking of Jeff, hopefully we'll get him in here sometime this month. I was just looking at the schedule over here on the door. Apparently we're on at ten o'clock next weekend, but then the week after that we're on at six p.m. because uh, they have some NFL football coming on. Wow. So we'll uh, we'll work with that. I don't know if we can get Jeff to come down for uh, for a six p.m. show. And next week we're going to be planning our big Fearing Tavern program, hopefully. So. I believe, uh, Carl's band is playing though, so we might have to rework that. We'll figure it all out.
3: It'll all work out. It always does. It does.
2: I've, I I had some plans going for Christmas themed episodes. Um, you know, maybe we can bump that up, so we'll see what we can pull off. Because that's what we do here. We, we book by the seat of our pants. We do. Works out well. We book and bump. So far he's so goody. We haven't really had to bump anybody. (laughs) We only bump people that we know personally. But, uh, and, uh, speaking of uh, a few little housekeeping notes here, uh, the classes have been going really well at the Bay State Paranormal Center for myself and Matt Moniz. Uh, we both have classes coming up frequently, uh, including I have one Monday night called Paranormal in the Media. And, uh, this is where we're going to discuss some of these programs and, and radio shows and TV shows and just the way that the paranormal has been portrayed in newspapers and magazine stories. And, uh, we want to invite you to Come on out to the Bay State Paranormal Center and, and share your thoughts on that topic. You can, uh, go to myspace.com slash mugshotlizzy if you'd like to check out the calendar of events and to kind of get an idea of what's coming up. And also you can contact Elizabeth that way and let her know that you're interested in coming. Uh, you can also email Bay PC at AOL.com or you can call the center directly. 508-880-8696. And there's a great class coming up. At least it's going to be great for me to to teach it. But it's coming up January nineteenth. It's called Broadcasts from Beyond. And essentially, we're going to talk about the history of the quote unquote Frank's box and the ghost boxes, these devices that are used uh, to speak with spirits using radio waves. It's it's a device that we used, Matt Costa, uh, on, on our appearance on Conversations with a Serial Killer, which we'll talk about in a bit with Bobby Marqueso. But you know, this is. The the hot new thing to have in your ghost hunting arsenal, and we're going to talk about the history of these devices, what it is they supposedly do, how it's possible that they do what they do, and uh we'll also run a live session with one, as well, right there at the Bay State Paranormal Center, so you can get a chance to, uh to use one firsthand. And if you want to get one for yourself, we'll we'll even teach you how to, how to make one for yourself too. So, uh, Matt Haas, I'm going to have to have you give me the uh, the schematics. <laughs> So I can bring them with me, or you can just come there with your your toolbox and a case full of Radio Shack radios and and get right to work.
3: Yeah, that
2: will be fun if we can find them. Yeah, they're getting harder and harder to find. Well, uh, why don't we uh, check in with Matt Moniz before we get into the week and weird? Let's see if we can get him on the phone. You know his number by heart. Do you need me to give it to you? Um, I'll have to look it up. I'm ashamed for you. You should know his number by heart so that when you see it come up on your caller ID, you won't answer it. (laughs) Just kidding. Here you go. Why don't you get Matt on the phone for us? And as I was saying, uh, of course, Rock for Christmas is coming up tomorrow at the Newport Blues Cafe. Uh, We can't stress enough how much it means to these families and the needy uh, to to get you to come out here and make a donation. If you go to newportblues.com, You can purchase tickets there. Also, all the information is listed on the Rock for Christmas website, rock4xmas.com. That's rock4xmas.com. And like I was saying earlier in the program, man, I got a chance just to see Eddie Money at the rehearsal. And if he was that great at rehearsal, I can only imagine how phenomenal he's going to be when it comes to the actual shows. A great crowd at Foxwoods at the Hard Rock Cafe the other night, from what I've heard from all reports. Uh, I had to get up early the next day, so I couldn't make it. But I I just heard that uh, they were there, they were rocking out, and that uh, Foxwoods, you know, with the, the economy the way that it is, it was kind of slow. But it seemed like everybody in the whole casino area was all descending upon the hard rock to check out this show. So, make sure you check out tomorrow nights at the Newport Blues Cafe. Just go to rock 4 com. Rock the number four, com. And now on the line we have science advisor Matt Moniz joining us live from the Lizzie Board and Bed and Breakfast. Uh, how's it going there, Matt?
1: Uh, been an interesting couple of nights here.
2: Really? You got a lot of activity going on?
1: Uh, a lot of, uh, Things starting to move around the house. Actually, the rocking chair had moved. uh, The one that Leanne woke up to one day was moved. uh, The bed in the chimney room, Jose and Melton room, uh, apparently had some movement going on that was captured on camera, and the camera slightly being moved in that room. Various other things going on. We're currently doing a cell phone to the dead session. That's going on in another room at the moment. A lot of interesting things happening
2: here this weekend. Well, now normally we were talking about this recently, you and I. But normally, when we when you bring in that many people for something going on, because I'm assuming you know with Tiffany there, that you must have a full house. Normally, when you bring in that type of a crowd, you don't seem to get as much activity. But this is some pretty profound stuff happening. It sounds like.
1: Well, actually, it's a small crowd, okay. uh, including myself. There's only a dozen people here, and uh, Tiffany had to go back to her hotel room. So it's a very small, intimate crowd.
2: Ah, see, that's what it is, is they, they waited till she left, and they said, ha-ha, we'll show you.
1: She yeah, was here for the other stuff yesterday, so.
2: Now, uh, you know, with, with, I mean, this just sounds like activity's picking up to me. I mean, this is pretty overt stuff. Uh what other kinds of uh is there any type of experimentation you want to do now that you know that furniture movement seems to be on the docket
1: well yeah we've been putting markings on various items to see if they've moved and some stuff has so uh there's a uh, number of dvr recorders going on around the uh house and have been on for the past day and a half here so uh We've got some stuff going on. We won't know about any auditory evidence, you know, recorded evidence for uh, a couple of days until they review the, you know, dozen or so uh, visual recorders placed around the house.
2: What kind of uh, sensations, what kind of uh, presence did uh, Tiffany pick up?
1: She definitely found that there is some stuff here. She doesn't think that it is all that negative but she does believe that there is tragedy here which is obvious uh you know given the circumstances that has happened but she doesn't feel any real truly negative spirits i guess people would call them demonic or inhuman she doesn't really feel that presence here according to what she's related to me but she definitely does feel the sorrow and the sadness and that that with these spirits as she feels is here.
2: Well, we'll just have to introduce her to the negative ones. They're just hiding tonight. Because <laughs> you, you and I have been there when when things get uh, pretty pretty negative. So
1: Yeah, and you're usually the target of it.
2: Well, that's why I wisely stay at home. I don't want to ruin the good time that everybody's having over there and, and, and make everybody angry, make all the spirits angry. So I figured it better to just stay here in the studio tonight.
1: Well, next week we have Chris Moon here, and you and him... Uh, usually, when you're together in this place, this place goes nuts, as you know.
2: Yeah, well, that's you know, that's they usually go nuts for Chris Moon anyway, because you know, a of his paranormal research, and they're big fans of his rock music too. So hmm. there you go. Well, uh, maybe uh, if we get the chance, uh, I'll pop in next week, and we'll see if we can start everything up. I'll get them all going, and then I'll say, "Okay, guys, I got to go do the show now." All right. all right well you stay safe for the rest of the night i hope uh hope you can document lots of stuff and report back to us
1: you got it my brother
2: all right tell everybody we said hello and have a good night
1: you got it night
2: that is matt moniz science advisor for the spooky south coast program and over there at the lizzie board and bed and breakfast where you know if you're interested in getting on board we're going to be putting together another one of our famous investigators nights where we basically get the whole house to ourselves and we can kind of break up the cost of renting the place out amongst various different paranormal groups. Get in touch with me, Tim at spooky And we'll start putting together a list of different groups, looking at putting it together sometime in January, February, March, that type of area. So we can make sure we can get it, get in there and get it done before, you know, it really picks up uh, with the, the season of people staying there. You know, when the house is quiet in the dead of winter, you seem to get a lot of great phenomena happening that you can document. That's when, um, when I was there with Matt and Jeff Belanger and Chris Balzano, we had a uh, we were on the we were in the basement, we heard a baby crying on the first floor. We were on the first floor, we heard a woman singing on the second floor. You know, this is the kind of stuff that you might not pick up, you know, when there's large groups of people there, but when you have uh, a bunch of seasoned investigators and they're all working in conjunction with one another, you can get a lot of great results. So And any time that you can get a bunch of paranormal investigators into the same building, and they're all working well together. That that's pretty weird, isn't it, MacHausen? Yes. Yeah. You know what else is weird?
0: More bad news. Well, I got a great show for you today. with some wonderful. Weird
3: stuff. I feel, I feel so very weird. <laughs>
2: The and weird. All right. Well, our first story comes from Scientific American, and it was written by Vaughn Bell. And, and basically, uh, what what is the theory of this is that the dead stay with us. That much is clear. They remain in our hearts and minds. But for many people, they also linger in our senses as sights, sounds, smells, touches, or presences grief hallucinations are a normal reaction to bereavement but are rarely discussed because people fear they might be considered insane or mentally destabilized by their loss as a society we tend to associate hallucinations with things like drugs and mental illness but we now know that hallucinations are common in sober healthy people and that they are more likely during times of stress morning seems to be a time when hallucinations are particularly common to the point where feeling the presence of the deceased is the norm rather than the exception. One study by researcher Agneta Grimby of the University of Göteborg found that over 80% of elderly people experience hallucinations associated with their dead partner one month after bereavement, as if their own perception had yet to catch up with the knowledge of their beloved's passing. As a marker of how vivid such visions can seem, almost a third of the people reported that they spoke in response to their experiences. In other words, these weren't just peripheral illusions. They could evoke the very essence of the deceased. So, these uh, grief hallucinations are believed to be, you know, these common ghosts that come back and visit people uh, shortly after their passing. And a great story. If you have the chance, definitely go to scientificamerican.com and read the entire thing. But just the the examples that it gives of these of grief uh, visitations. And, and this is something that Matt Costa, I really want us to put together an episode sometime in, in 2009 about when loved ones pass and this window that there seems to be for them to get in touch with people. These phone calls that people receive from the deceased. Uh, these visitations, these, these appearances that they see. I mean, this is... We, we have to get a, a grief counselor on the phone. We have to get I don't know, maybe even a funeral director. Somebody who is around these people while they're making the preparations. Just these different aspects of, of people that are along the lines that somebody would experience during the grief process. And to s- just hear what kind of reports are coming out of it. Because I know Brad Steiger has done a great amount of research in these phone calls after death. and But a lot of his research that he published, I know that he's still does research today but a lot of what's been published Mm -hmm. happened years ago now with cell phones with caller ID you know with all these ways of being able to track exactly where a call is coming from it's just amazing that it's still happening it's not like you know the old rotary phone hanging on the wall in the kitchen is ringing now you're getting actual cell phones there's one case and I don't know if it's true I haven't been able to verify it I haven't heard anybody verify it it might just be urban legend but there's one case where somebody actually took a cell phone of of somebody who had died, removed their SIM card, put their own SIM card in so they could keep the same telephone number. Um, I don't remember if they destroyed the other SIM card or if they got rid of it. I know they weren't using it. it might have been in a draw somewhere, they weren't using it. But their cell phone still got a call from the I, think, I believe it was a grandfather, got a call from the grandfather's cell phone. Even though it was the grandfather's cell phone and the SIM card was not in it. So that's just, that's crazy how that can happen. Yeah. You know? I mean, aside from somebody else finding the SIM card, putting it in their phone, and playing a trick on them. But, yeah, it's just amazing yeah. that these, these things happen. And, and with this technology that we have, which you would think would p- kind of preclude that from yeah. happening, it still does. What would you do if somebody that you knew that had passed on gave you a phone call? I don't know.
3: Hang up real quick. I'd reverse okay. the charges. That's what in I would do. The charges?
2: Yes. All right, what do you have for us?
3: All right. This is a super uh, deluxe edition of the Week and weird because I printed my uh, story on glossy photo paper.
2: Oh, oh, very nice. Is that because it was the only paper you had left?
3: Um, it was because I didn't realize that the photo paper was in the printer.
2: So. Yeah, that's that's a very expensive Week in weird story.
3: <laughs> uh, anyway, an image sent back from the. From the red planet has r- revealed an object bearing an uncanny resemblance to a wooden log. It was captured by the Mars rover near the endurance crater. The find has excited conspiracy theorists in blogs and websites who claim it, it's evidence that there are vast forests on Mars that have been kept from the public. The unusual image has featured has been featured in the NASA p- press release although the space agency made no mention of the timber object captured on the spacecraft's 115th day on Mars but one website insists it has it is a leaked image that could get someone killed a writer from the crit mag, the said nasa's claims nasa claims mars was a desert world where where lies and that they were they that there are vast forests on Mars. They go on they go on to speculate that the wood was brought to its brought to its position by a flood of water that might have happened about forty years ago because the wood is still intact. However the plank has some shading and is similar in a similar linear pattern to the surrounding rock. Sadly there is no scientific evidence of any macroscopic plant life on Mars. And the vista in the image is one of a vast, desolate desert. However, NASA scientists have found water at the north uh, polar region of Mars, as well as an alkaline soil, key ingredients to support life. President Bush announced his intention to, to support manned mission to Mars back in 2004. So, is it wood? I don't know.
2: Holy crap, though, it does look like wood. Either that or a giant slim jay. It does hmm. maybe yeah. it's a giant Slim gym to feed the face on Mars?
3: If we no. had a spooky South Coast TV up and running, I would load <laughs> that up. So yes, but we don't. See, All right.
2: No. Yeah. Don't remind me. I'm so afraid of what's going <laughs> on with that. But uh, no, I mean it's definitely an intriguing photograph. I mean it's uh, it's not as yeah. easily dismissible as I thought it was with what I'd heard on on other radio shows. Um, it's just—it seems like people are extrapolating this way too much. Yeah, though. Why, why would means. why would
3: they lie about why would uh, NASA lie about forests on Mars? And wouldn't we be able to see him from with telescopes? And
2: um, I'm not exactly sure how planetary rotation works. There may be part of Mars that we would never see. Okay. I'm not sure. But. Well. I, I don't know. I know that the uh, the planned manned mission to Mars is, is has been put off. The next uh, space shuttle launch, the next uh, NASA launch that was supposed to go to Mars and, and gather some more information has been delayed. Yeah. So that's going to delay the, the manned mission. It's going to take about thirty years now, they think, before um, you oh, know wow. we can start setting up bases on Mars, and uh, provided that it is visitable. I mean, that's what this uh, next probe was going out there to determine if, if human life could, could be sustained on Mars. So, well, hey, I mean... It's the, an
3: interesting picture. The more stuff
2: that keeps popping up on the surface of Mars, I think, is, is mainly due to the increase in technology that we have to look at it. Yeah. But also, I would be surprised if, you know, some, some creatures from another planet were just dropping stuff there to, to, to mess with us. Yeah. You know, sooner or later, we're going to see, like, a spooky South Coast bumper sticker.
3: That would be something. Um,
2: <laughs> somebody might start putting those in photographs without us knowing about it and hiding them on Mars and classic cars. And <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, that is the Week in Weird for this week. If you have a story you would like to share with us for the Week in Weird, just go to com, click on the forum, go to the Week in Weird uh, board there and drop it into the... To the story, or put a link into there, and if we read it on the air, we will give you a spooky South Coast bumper sticker. And supplies are running out, actually. Yeah. So you want to start putting some stories in there quickly, so you can get your your bumper sticker. And you know, while we're while we're Talking about bumper stickers running out, we want to remind everybody, if there's any books that you want to purchase about the paranormal, any DVDs, anything that you want to get to help uh, further your knowledge and enjoyment of the paranormal field and your research of it, then please do us a favor. Go to our website, spooky south coast dot, spooky south coast dot com, order those materials through our site. You will pay exactly the same price that you would if you purchased them from Amazon. It's just that we actually make a little bit, a very little bit of a profit uh, based on that sale, and we can use that money to help further the program. So please, please, we ask you, uh, and if there's something that you want to order and it's not up on our site, email me, email Matt Costa, email Crew at SpookySouthCoast.com, and we promise you within an hour of you emailing us, we'll get it up onto the site. So uh, And then you'll be able to order it, you'll be able to help us out, you'll be able to keep this program going because uh, we don't get paid for this. We don't get paid for the investigations nope. we do. We don't get paid for... for uh, we, we barely get paid for the day jobs that we work <laughs> and the night jobs that we have to work because we don't get paid from the day jobs that we work. So uh, every little bit that can help keep this show going uh, helps us. Go on, out.
3: Buy, buy everybody a Kindle. It's a good stocking stuff. Yes, the Kindle.
2: <laughs> it's, as a matter of fact, anybody <laughs> who purchases a Kindle uh, from SpookySouthCoast.com through SpookySouthCoast.com uh, between now and January 31st we will uh we'll give you first of all we'll give you a spooky south coast t- shirt and we'll give you a pump here that goes without saying yeah. but uh if you order a, a kindle we'll i don't know we'll let you I would, uh co-host the show what we'll come up with something
3: uh, i don't know get a get him a c- copy of the ebooks bonds of secrecy
2: there you go yeah yeah we'll we'll'll we'll, yeah we'll pay for that we will yeah we'll we'll, uh, we'll make sure that you have content for your Kindle because this is the next generation of of being able to read about the paranormal and we want to make sure everybody gets on board all right so why don't we uh, take a break when we come back we will talk to Barbie Marqueso of Conversations with a serial killer uh, We'll take your calls as well 508-996-0500, 508-291-0500. zero five hundred five oh eight two nine one zero five hundred We'll also take emails spooky crew. At spookysoutcoast.com. So stay tuned. We'll be right back here on Spooky South Coast. Welcome back to Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here, along with the silent assassin, Matt Costa. And if you're not aware, that is the theme song of the new program, Conversations with a Serial Killer. It airs on living in the U.K., and we have one of the hosts of the show, Bobby Marqueso, joining us on the phone right now. How are you tonight, Bobby? I'm
0: great. How are you, Tim?
2: Oh, spooktacular, as we say here.
0: Uh, is that the phrase? Okay.
2: Yep, yeah, that's it. So... uh now, first of all, you're uh, you're traveling. You're just coming back from one of your events.
0: I am. We actually just got done with uh, what I call a spiritual coffee, where we have a, a kind of a gathering. It's like a John Edward Gallery, if you can imagine that, with, with people in, and we bring through messages from loved ones. We talk about the other side and questions that people have about you know the haunted stuff and and that type of thing. So we have a forum. So yeah, I'm just coming back. I'm actually in Dallas, uh, Texas, right now, and just got done with with an event. So just in time. It, it's very funny because things literally just wrapped up. And my business manager, Julie, had said, you know, you actually have 10 minutes before the show. And I'm like, oh, that worked out really perfect. So, yeah,
2: yeah. that's that's how we do things here. You know, we kind of just wait for them to all work out.
5: (laughs) Well, I appreciate it.
2: Work so far. So uh, Mm -hmm. now, how did you get involved with Conversations with a Serial Killer? I mean, how was it that, you know, a program from, you know, Europe got in touch with you and American?
0: I know. It's kind of crazy. Um you know, it's, it's all, my, my life kind of works on serendipity, or I, I, I don't believe necessarily in coincidences with anything. Mm-hmm. Um, we all, if you take a look at your life, there's certain things of one thing leading to another, as you can kind of go back and connect the dots as to why you're doing what it is that you're doing right now. It was all because of a series of events, a certain domino effect. Um, I had hosted a morning television program on the NBC News Channel out in South Dakota, in Rapid City. And I had finally decided to leave that and do this, what I'm doing full-time, and one of the ways that I knew I could expand on what I was doing was to move out to California. Uh, I had done that, and it was about four months later when a friend of a friend, uh, he's also psychic, they had told me that uh, they had came to him looking to uh, start a television show with a psychic, and he had actually recommended me. I don't know why he didn't take the job himself, but he had actually decided to recommend me. That's how they hooked up with me. It was really a very simple process. They had come out, interviewed me, and I think one of the things that they they liked that that secured the job was the fact that I had been a police officer before. They were looking for somebody who was trying to present all of this in a a credible fashion, and they liked the fact that I was a cop before. Um, So I think that's one of the things that that, uh, had attracted me to the job. So. It all just kind of fell into place and
2: worked out. Well, it seems like it's the perfect job for somebody who's been a police officer, a television host, and who has psychic abilities. So now you're you're able to combine all three into the perfect storm of of this program.
0: And it's funny because if you'd asked me before while I was doing all of those, if I thought I would be combining all of those, no, I wouldn't have thought that. But again, when you can look back, there's obvious reasons why I did everything that I did. I, I was I was a cop close to 20 years ago, and I had no idea that it would come into play today but you look back and you were just I was just actually being kind of groomed
2: well so in in that capacity I mean how much did you do investigation I'm sure you've read true crime books and I'm sure in criminology classes you studied them but how much investigation in your own time uh, did you look into some of these serial killers that you look at now
0: um back then not a lot I think there was always a certain type of fascination like we all might have Mm -hmm. you know what what makes these guys tick. Why do they do what they decide to do? The investigative part, of course, being a police officer, always came into play. Um, it was always about investigating certain particular circumstances and trying to put things together, which I love being able to do with this. It, it's not just going in trying to get banks and bumps and get ghosts to make noises. It's, it's going and in investigating. I, I'm one of the first people to always say, just because you have a light bulb, Flickers, doesn't mean that it's a message. It could just be go to the store and get a new bulb. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we, I, I like the the investigative process where you kind of break it down and don't just take anything at face value. And we try to be very credible with that on the show. Don't just take something that we find. We try to put all the evidence together, which makes makes for a, the program and not, again, just going off of just because we instantly chalk it up to being a ghost.
2: Well, I'll, I'll be honest with you. When, uh, when we were approached uh, to be part of – the episode uh, with the Boston Strangler, and I found out that you know the plan was for it to air on the same network as Most Haunted. I got a little bit nervous <laughs> about how it was going to be presented, but it actually turned out just amazing. It's it's totally unique uh, as a as a paranormal researcher, you can stand behind it uh, because of the the process that you go through, and it's it's not you know it's it's not what you would think. You know, when you say, from the network that brought you most haunted. I mean, this is a serious investigation, and it just so happens that you're using uh, paranormal techniques because you're dealing with somebody who's no longer with us. But you could just as easily be, you know, building a a criminal profile uh, of these serial killers as much as you are trying to contact their spirit.
0: Oh, very much so, because that was part of the role that I found myself in, was trying to find out what makes these guys tick, why did they do what they do, and when did that decision Be made. So, in other words, when did they decide to start killing? And when did they say to to take this path? Was it because of a poor childhood, or was it just a decision, or were they placed in circumstances that made them do this? Whatever. That's that was part of the investigative technique too. And and I I'm, I'm with you. I've I've watched Most Haunted all of the years. I love Most Haunted. But I also wanted to try to come from a very again a very credible place with that. You guys, when you came in and were with us on that, especially with the Frank's box. There, you guys had really set the bar for a lot of the things that we did after that. I love the way that you guys helped us present a more credible type of thing. The, the Franks box freaked me out because it was something that I, I'm i skeptical myself. I have to wait for signs. When you're walking into a haunted place and you get a feeling that something's there, you can't go by that. The audience doesn't buy that. Anybody can have a feeling. Mm-hmm. But when you actually have tools like a temperature gauge or you have the MF meter or you have the Frank's box that backs up what the psychic is saying, now we've got something that presents hopefully a credible program. And again, I was purposely checking out the Frank's box. I was testing it. And I was, I have to tell you, it really stunned me. I was absolutely stunned.
2: Well, we, you know, when we brought it to you, I'll I'll be honest with you, we we really kind of just recently built that and we were still trying to learn how to work it. And when – I think we have the perfect situation where we had somebody with your abilities, which kind of helps foster better responses. Now, for those who haven't seen it yet, and, and we've linked it up on our YouTube, we've, we've kind of revealed that to people. But we were sitting in an apartment where supposedly Albert DeSalvo had, had murdered uh, someone, and we were trying to use this device to contact her spirit, and it seemed like he was coming through. And for those who watch it, you're going to think, oh, well, you know, that's edited for time. That's edited to make sure that things sound a little bit clearer. And that's not the case at all. I mean, we were getting direct responses. We were getting immediate responses. And we were getting pretty clear responses.
0: And and different and and multiple responses. So the same question asked two or three different times and getting responses from the exact same response to those questions. Which is key. But I purposely set out to debunk the machine. You know, I want, of course, I, there's nothing more than I would love for the machine to, to back up the fact that I'm feeling what I'm feeling. And that, you know, I'm seeing and hearing and everything that I'm experiencing. I, I certainly want the tools to be able to do that, but I have to make sure that the tools are reliable as well. And when that Frank spot backed up everything it is that I was feeling and the questions that I was asking purposely to, again, try to foil it, it was absolutely amazing at the answers and things that it came up with. That's one of the longest segments we have. In that particular program, because we used it so much, um, there are other programs we actually in, ended up using the, the box on. As you know, I I fell in love with that box, and I had to have you guys make me one. Mm-hmm. And I took it, and we used it on several other occasions. And I, the camera crew, uh, everybody was just completely blown away by the, by the responses we were getting from that machine.
2: Well, I'm excited to see it myself, because I remember what happened when we were there. And I remember the things that stuck out in my mind as being pretty profound in that experience. But then going back and watching the footage, I said, oh, whoa, I don't remember that. And like one one thing that really caught my eye, caught my ear, actually, was when uh, when when Julie asked, you know, how how uh, how Albert died. And he said that he was she said, how were you were you killed? Were you murdered? And first it says stabbed. And then she says, can you repeat that? And when he comes back and says it again, he actually says murdered, but he mocks her accent when he says it, which I <laughs> yeah, didn't pick right. up on at the time. And I was like, you know, well, it, it, there's no way you can tell me that it's coincidental that it would just be a rapid radio wave of somebody saying the exact same word in the exact same accent at the exact same time. You know, this absolutely. is definitely a consciousness.
0: It's something that you can't debug. Now, Julie, of course, being the investigative reporter and coming out with you know, she obviously wants everything to be credible as well. She's investigating this. And there's plenty of times where we would get into, you know, not heated arguments, but a little tussle when I would say, look, here's what's going on. She says, Bobby, I need more proof than that. Mm-hmm. You know, we, and so we would try to set out to get that. And particularly the one thing she couldn't ever debunk was the Franks box. One of the other places we used it at was on um, Jeffrey Dahmer. And we were sitting in the room where he had actually killed one of his victims, and we had asked how he had killed his victims, and it came out barbell, which was absolutely correct. Now, I don't care how many A.M. stations you're going through. What are the odds of, number one, barbell coming out? Number two, in direct response to the question that you're asking, when you're asking it, I just think the odds are amazingly high. And then we had said, give us something else that that would suggest that you're here something about you or your father and instantly it came out chemist his father was a chemist wow and then there was a few other things that had helped to back up i don't want to ruin the program but a few things that had also come up that backed up what it is we're talking so that again it was just one of those very credible tools that added so much to the program and i can't thank you and your team enough for for helping us bring that
2: no well thank you for including us i mean when you look at it, though, and you think about it, and you know something about the criminology and the criminal mind, it's kind of the perfect device for that type of investigation because what do we know about many of these serial killers? A lot of them suffer from you know megalomania or giant egos, and you know they, they want to talk about themselves, and they want to talk about what it is that they did, and you're basically giving them that voice to keep talking about it.
0: Exactly, and that's that's kind of our fault, too, isn't it, really? That's, that's the only <laughs> thing that keeps these guys alive is that there's so much darn interest in him we keep making these programs about him and they love it most of the most of the serial killers that we went through with loved the fame ted bundy especially loved everything and all the attention he was getting around all of it
2: and and that's one of the episodes that's uh, that's already been put up online and that was uh, one of the first episodes wasn't it ted bundy
0: uh that was the very first app that went out and okay. then uh secondly i think they did um I'm not sure. I think the two the two that are online right now are Ted Bundy and Charles Starkweather. Yes. I think Starkweather wasn't until the third one, so I'm not sure what order they're. They're not doing them in the order that we actually shot them in. Um, but I think Albert Desalvo is the latest one to come out, and you should be able to find that online here pretty soon, so you guys get to see your part.
2: Yeah, we uh, we we actually found a, a a copy of it on YouTube, and we linked up to it. And somebody put it up in parts, and I'm sure the one person that's been posting them all up will get it up there eventually. Uh, but. Yeah. Who, I mean, can you reveal some of the other uh, cases that you investigated, or do you kind of have to keep it, you know, under your hat until they air? Absolutely.
0: Well, it's over in the U.K. I mean, we can, yeah, we can certainly talk about it, because the series is airing right now. I think we're on episode five right now. But some of the other people were John Wayne Gacy, um, Jeffrey Dahmer, like I mentioned, Mm -hmm. Eileen Warnos, who was uh, portrayed by Charlize Theron in the movie Monster. Mm -hmm. Um, We also did uh, what they call the Vampire of Sacramento. His name is Richard Trenton Chase. Um, he was an, a very negative, bad energy. That was something that Julie got out of the seance was so uncomfortable with. She had to get up and leave after three minutes of, wow. of starting. She was just very affected by the seance that she hadn't been affected that way before, not even during the one that we had held at the Franks box uh, there in Boston. So um, – uh, there's an, another uh, lady who was kind of known as a black widow. Her name is Belle Gunness, but she was back in the late 1800s. Um, gosh, I think that was the Charles Starkweather we mentioned. He was he was one of the uh, inspirations for the movie uh, Natural Born Killers. Mm-hmm. So he was he was kind of a James Dean reckless killer. Um, but all of them, again, very very interesting and. and hopefully we'll we'll sell it over here to america but yeah like you said they're they're going to be leaked probably here on youtube um well, I mean, eventually you and people will be able to watch them
2: you, you can't hold back a a good quality paranormal program and and that's what this <laughs> is it, it appeals to not just the paranormal fans but also to the true crime fans and, and it, it's going to just draw in a lot of people that might not have normally paid attention to a to a paranormal show
0: i hope you're right thank you yeah that's great
2: and It seems like, you know, when you talk about serial killers and you you talk about this whatever is wrong in their mind, you know, you get every expert in the world that wants to sit there and and try to analyze how it is that they think, you know, and, and even on the show, you still have some some people that are going to analyze who they were and what it is that they did with their lives, but to be able to kind of hear it from them themselves, to be able to kind of follow along in their life and see what developed them into that, you know, it's funny because it actually, in the end, it kind of humanizes a monster.
0: It absolutely does. It's too easy. You're absolutely right. Some of the crime analysts and people who do that type of criminal profiling, I think in some way that, They were just putting labels on something that we can't understand. We're all all just using words whenever we talk and do what it is that we do, because it helps us to understand. And for somebody to place a label like on Jeffrey Dahmer as a monster, it becomes very, very easy to do that. It helps us understand. He did terrible things. He was horrific. He was a monster. He's just an evil man. But you know what? It wasn't that simple. Because, again, my job going to some of these places, we would not only go to where maybe their victims were killed, but we went to where these people grew up, where uh, they interacted with the world, where they thought about doing what it is that they ended up doing. And so I'm getting into, my job was to get into the minds, like you said, of what was going through these people's heads, why they decided to make the decisions they did. So, again, just taking Jeffrey Dahmer as an example, when I'm there, I'm not only seeing and feeling what it is that he was doing as he was doing it, but also sometimes you're in the feelings and senses and emotions of some of the victims as well. So as you're going through all of this, I have to tell you one of the – Jeffrey Dahmer really amazed me because with him, it was too easy again to place that label as just a monster and he did horrific things because to him, it was perfectly normal. I didn't feel any rush of what he was doing or anything that was abnormal about it. He just he just thought that was normal to him and didn't understand why people had a problem with it. Now, that's different for other people in the world to understand because, again – we, don't, we choose not to. We kind of ignore those types of things about the human condition. So it's easier just to place a label on it and forget about it rather than to try to understand the guy's mind. But the way I was looking at some of these people, yeah, it was, like you said, it was kind of humanizing a monster, which scares a little bit. I think that's the true scary part of it, that all of this is real. It's not, you know, it's one thing of going to a horror show, but this can actually be more scary because it, it definitely touches closer to home. Mm-hmm. And
2: w- one of the things that I think is kind of overlooked. Uh, when people watch the program, too, is you know they they take for granted the fact that you have these abilities and that you can make these connections and nobody really thinks about how strong you know you must be going into one of these to be able to deal with all these different you know victims, serial killers, everybody that's there, and you're kind of feeling their energies i mean it must be very conflicting for you because you know you want to naturally side with the victim because just. Basic human empathy, but at the same time you are also are 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 compelled by the story of the of the actual killer. So you must be getting pulled in a million different directions on on a psychic level.
0: It was yeah, it was a it was a little tough like that. I tell you the one thing the one person we had all felt um, apathy for or had felt sorry for was Eileen Warnos, and it's because she was very likable and but yet at the same time of course you can't display that on the program because you don't want to make for these people, mm-hmm. and plus, there's still victims' families that are still alive, and you don't want to make it look like we're condoning the things that these killers did, and we certainly don't. But after all of that was done, again, when you're getting to know the person or getting inside their mind, you're like, you know, this person was not crazy. Everybody said she was, and she really wasn't. She was, I mean, she was a bit wild or whatever, but, you know, you start to feel sorry for them after a while, and, and knowing, yes, that's very conflicting because that's so wrong of the horrific things they did. For me, I couldn't help it because I'm feeling these feelings, and obviously my life, being a psychic and a medium, centers around what it is that I'm feeling and experiencing. That's why Julie did such a brilliant job, because she was able, even though she was feeling it, she got to still present it with the investigative journalist point of view the saying, look, you need to, to buck up. You killed this many people, and we don't excuse it for what you did. And she was tough on us, and exactly what the program needed. You know, we couldn't... Obviously, like I say, we couldn't condone, or, or, and we wouldn't try to condone what these people did, mm-hmm. but you did get to know them on a, on a bit different level.
2: So, I mean, how how are the numbers uh, for the program over in the UK? Is it, I can only imagine being on Living and, and being paired with some of the other shows it's paired with. It must be doing some pretty strong numbers.
0: Um, it started out really well. I say started out, we had um, a little bit, uh, last week, They we've been competing with a soap opera, I guess, it was taking place on a different channel. Yeah. and and uh but the living network is very happy with the numbers so far it's gotten very rave reviews. We go on right after most haunted and just before cSI um, their channel out there is a lot like our CBS mm-hmm. out here. Um, so the numbers have been great they've all they're they're very happy with the way things are going right now
2: and I know that that actually British TV tends to work a little bit differently than than our our television does, but have have they already discussed a, another season?
0: They haven't yet. They're still waiting to see the numbers. Um, When I I actually went out to London for the premiere and uh, had met with the commissioning editor, and he had said about three or four episodes in, they might be able to tell if we're going to do a season two. Um, And again, we're going to be airing our fifth episode coming up this week, and we haven't heard anything back yet. But, uh, you know, it'll go just exactly how it's supposed to, and there's certainly, unfortunately, enough uh, material out there for us to use for a second maybe even a third season
2: well I mean and you didn't all American serial killers for the season
0: right now the, for this season it's all American the, the Brits have a, a fascination with some of our American serial killers mm-hmm. um, second season might go into some of the UK's serial killers or it might go into some of the lesser-known serial killers that we have here it's um, it just it's hard to tell but yeah all of this all eight episodes, are uh, just American serial killers.
2: It might be hard to do because it's not like you can pinpoint an exact identity. But I'd be fascinated to see to see how you guys would take on the idea of Jack the Ripper.
0: That's they've mentioned that you know, the camera crew, of course, that's the first thing that that always comes up. They definitely would love. The, I, I when I was over in London, Julie um, had taken me to one of the places where where uh, Jack the Ripper's victims were. Um, But the the whole crew would love to take me over there and take me to some of these places where he did what he did and see if we couldn't. You know, there's been so many people trying to break the secret of who it was and that type of thing. But I'm sure that would be part of whatever episode we decided to do.
2: All right. Well, Bobby Marqueso is the host, uh, the the psychic on board with Conversations with a Serial Killer, airing on Living in the UK. You can check out his website, bobbymarqueso.com. We're going to link that up with SpookySouthCoast.com, so you can find out about all those events coming up as well if you want to book them for one of those. And before we let you go, Bobby, I want to thank you for joining us. Thank you for having us on your show. And just one last question. Is the the sound guy all right? I know he got hit by the car there. Was he okay after that?
0: He's fine. He still rubs his elbow and skips the letters E and H when he recites the alphabet, but otherwise he's fine.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I just remember the, 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 the guy who hit him. You know, uh, when he gave him the number for his insurance company, telling him it couldn't possibly be a real phone number because there was too many numbers in it.
0: (laughs) Uh, It it was so funny. I could hear the crack from clear down the street where we're driving in. For Obviously, the people who are listening that don't know, one of our sound guys running across the street to set up the mic for our shot as we were shooting the scene, ran across the street and was hit by a car. More more, uh, appropriate, he actually ran into a car himself so <laughs> <laughs> car didn't hit him he hit the truck and took off the bumper it was oh my god but yeah he's fine and, and doing really well and, and feels stupid
2: and, and so. the, the driver did make it to his red sox game in time so
0: he did yeah that's
2: <laughs> all that mattered to him and also thank you guys because for having us on the show that was my reason to try falafel for the first time so
0: that's awesome i'm great we were, we were <laughs> honored to have you thank you so much
2: all right thank you very much bobby we'll talk to you soon keep us up to date with everything all right, Tim. Thank
0: you. Have a
2: great night. Okay, thanks. Bye. Bobby Marqueso of Conversations with a Serial Killer. Check it out on Living in the UK, hopefully coming to America soon. And also you can find clips of it on YouTube. Well, that about does it for tonight's show. Uh, until next week, when hopefully Matt Moniz will be back in the studio. For Matt Costa, I'm Tim Weisberg. We want you all to stay spectacular.